0: In March of 1934, Anna Monaro was in the hospital. It wasn't terribly unusual. At 42, Anna had struggled her whole life with chronic asthma. And the small hospital in Pirano, Istria was her go-to location for treatment. Pirano at the time, nowadays it's Piran. It's part of modern-day Slovenia on the Adriatic coast. And though it's been claimed by a number of countries over the years, at the time it was Pirano and considered part of Italy. Anna was a fisherman's wife, a devout Christian and the mother of 12 children. When her asthma wasn't so severe, she was known to take long walks on the beach in the hopes that the sea air would help with her health. When it got bad, she would go to the hospital, so Anna was staying overnight for treatment, lying in a hospital bed. This was about 20 years before the invention of the portable asthma inhaler, by the way. On the night of March 8, 1934, a woman in the bed next to her, Maria Girardi was up, struggling with her own illness. Maria happened to glance over at Anna's sleeping body and saw something kind of incredible. Anna was glowing, or at least part of her was. Maria called a nurse, that nurse called another nurse, until a doctor was eventually there to witness the blue glow coming from Anna's breasts. You heard me. Anna's breasts were glowing in the dark. Not only that, but Anna was hyperventilating, and her heart rate was nearly doubled its usual rate. At the end of it, Anna was left exhausted and out of breath. The doctor woke her up, and soon Anna was transferred to another hospital, this time in Rome. And soon Anna was being poked and prodded by a number of big thinkers in the medical community. Her breasts continued to light up in her sleep, and each time it would be coupled with the increased breathing and heart rate, sometimes with soft moans from Anna. Sometimes the blue light would occur in different formations, sometimes as a luminous globe over Anna's breasts, or in the shape of a cone originating from her heart, or even sometimes as several beams of light shooting from her chest. Several witnesses compared it to a Geissler tube. It's sort of an early neon light. But it always lasted for a few seconds at a time. And it was definitively there. A blue light emitting from her breasts, witnessed by medical professionals. And those medical professionals had theories. Maybe it was human bioluminescence? You know, like a firefly, but with boobs? Maybe it was sulfides interacting with blood? Or bacteria feeding on her sweat? Over the course of a month, a number of medical professionals, scientists, and even inventors all came in not just to witness Anna's miraculous breaths, but to offer their theories and attempt to explain the phenomenon. All in vain. After a month of studying Anna Monaro's illuminated memories, Anna's asthma cleared up, and the phenomenon stopped and everyone went home. I mean, a few papers did publish the story internationally, and a 62-page study was written up after the fact. But what I mean is that no one was able to come to a satisfying conclusion about the mystery of Anna's breasts. Oh, right, hi. I'm Kari Clements and this is Trans Arcana, where we take a queer look at the supernatural. Today we're going to be talking about the strange case of Anna Monaro, what might have caused it, Anna's own interpretation, and what makes the story unintended, so titillating. So let's start with the facts, because this is a really interesting story. And it's all true, according to medical documents and news reports, even if it is hard to believe. And it's so hard to believe in part because it's not something we've ever really heard of. So as far as most of us are concerned, it can't really happen. So logically, this couldn't really have happened. Could it? Well, let's take a look at the medical interpretations at the time. So there were actually quite a few theories at the time, in part because no one could figure it out, so a lot of experts kept throwing ideas at the wall to see if they would stick. And a lot of them are wonderfully weird. One doctor suggested that Anna's illuminated chest was the result of a, quote, electromagnetic radiation from certain compounds in her skin. This was in keeping with the then-current theories of bioluminescence and insinuated that Monaro's breasts were somehow repositories for said compounds? In fact, Edmund Newton Harvey, the leading authority on bioluminescence at the time, was consulted on this. As a result, one suggestion was that luminous bacteria were feeding on the nutrients of Monaro's sweat, and that her increased sweating was causing a bloom in said microbes? Which, besides from being kind of horrible if you're a germaphobe, also doesn't quite track because Anna's sweating generally happened after a period of illumination. But I think maybe the most horrifying suggestion came from a psychiatrist who suggested that Anna Monaro's glowing breasts were a result of, quote, electrical and magnetic organisms in the woman's body developed in eminent degree, which is, when you think about it, kind of a terrifying suggestion. If I went in to the doctor to get my light-up tits checked out, then the last thing I would want to hear was that there were glowworms inside them. One doctor, uh, Dr. Prati, offered an interesting suggestion that Anna's weak condition, coupled with fasting and religious zeal, increased the amount of sulfides in her blood. And, since human blood is already in the ultraviolet range, And since sulfides can be stimulated into luminescence by ultraviolet radiation, that would work? It sounds kind of reasonable, except it didn't explain the fact that it only happened periodically, and also just on her breasts. Another theory references the idea of luminous wounds, that bacteria were again the cause, or bacteria plus some organic compounds, like luciferin and luciferase, and ATP, uh, adenosine triphosphate. Uh, These two chemicals glow when they're brought together, uh, and you've seen this before in fireflies. Also, if you're a fan of this rather niche section of the paranormal, there are a couple of other similar stories about glowing wounds throughout history. But a lot of critics have noted that even if Anna were somehow producing ATP and luciferin, then she'd probably be glowing all over, since humans don't have localized glands for the admixture of the two. Unless her breasts were those glands? And then we're in some sort of Toro mimic situation? No, probably not. But, depending on how your brain works, you might already be itching to unravel this mystery on your own, and there are a lot of juicy things to latch onto. We already talked about the experts weighing in on the aforementioned bioluminescence considerations. There's also the fact that she had asthma, and these lights just happened to appear over her breasts. Also that the lights disappeared after her asthma flare-up. So, maybe we're looking at some sort of static buildup due to rapid breathing of her chest. Maybe against the bedclothes, or more frighteningly, static buildup inside her chest. Maybe you want to focus on the silver cross on her chest. It's possible that there were impurities in that piece of jewelry, or maybe in some sort of polish she used on it. We are, after all, in 1934, when radium was being used for all kinds of commercial products. From watch faces to radioactive bath salts. That was actually a thing. Like, there was a lot of medical quackery going on at the time with radium, radon, thorium, and even uranium. And this went on for a while, too. Like, on through the 1950s. If you're familiar with the Gilbert U-238 chemistry set, it was a kids' chemistry lab toy packaged with real uranium in it. this was a thing, so it's not inconceivable that Anna had been exposed to radium or some sort of other radioactive material in some form or another. However, since it was kind of in the public sphere that this was a thing, and given the number of specialists on the case, including an inventor slash engineer, I have to assume that if Anna was slathering her chest with a glow-in-the-dark paste, Someone would have picked up on that. I mean, ideally, right? But she was also a fisherman's wife. And not to channel Wallace Shawn too much, everyone knows about the bioluminescent property of dead and rotting fish. English miners used to use it in situations where there was a high risk of explosion. You let fish rot and they glow a little bit. So maybe people were just seeing fishy residue on her chest? Never mind the question of why it was only on her chest, or why it went on for a month even after she got to Rome. But, if you're clinging to the fisherman's wife concept, and her proximity to the ocean, maybe her long walks on the beach had something to do with it. Maybe she inhaled a lot of algae. Some algae does have bioluminescent properties, and perhaps some of it was, I don't know, living in her chest? Well, that's also terrifying maybe it was St. Elmo's Fire. The weather phenomenon, not the 1985 movie or the absolute banger of an 80s ballad that went along with it. St. Elmo's Fire is a plasma discharge that might match some of the descriptions of Anna's breast fire, especially the luminous orb description. The only problem is that St. Elmo's Fire needs a rod-like structure to jump off of and an electrical field to form in neither of which are really present in Anna's situation. But maybe you're stuck on the atmospheric phenomenon situation, and maybe it's ball lightning, forming repeatedly on Anna's chest, or aurora borealis, occurring at that time of year, at that time of day in that part of the country and localized entirely above Anna's breasts. Or it's a combination of multiple things, Static discharge formed from the asthmatic heaving of Anna's chest reacted with the high sulfides in her blood and created a localized electromagnetic field that sparked the latent uranium in Anna's crucifix, which served as a lightning rod to create a contained manifestation of St. Elmo's fire. Got it! See, the problem is that if you grasp at straws for too long, you eventually end up with a handful of crazy straws. Maybe we should just ask Anna what she thought was causing the blue glow. So often when approaching things like this, especially medical issues, the focus is on what the doctors have to say. And it's good to listen to medical professionals. We go to them because they've presumably had a shit-ton of training. But they're also people, and people have blind spots and prejudices, just like anyone else. And when we're dealing with a medical case from the 1930s, that can mean that the voices of the male doctors are often louder than the perspective of the women. In this case, the woman who it's happening to. You don't need to dig hard to find historical cases, or sadly, present-day cases, wherein in discussions of women's bodies, men drown out the voices of women. So, let's hear Anna's take. People did ask Anna about the cause of the blue lights from her chest. If anything, I have to imagine that the doctors only consulted with a woman when they themselves came up with bupkis. Monaro's take on it was that it was divine intervention, that God wanted her breasts to glow with blue fire. We mentioned before that she was a very devout woman and wore a cross around her neck at all times. And this starts to become a bigger thing. Stories get published internationally, in the New York Times, the Illustrated London News, and people start to interview Anna. And Anna has some stories for them. Now my first impulse is to take these with a grain of salt, because they seem a bit far-fetched to me. But at the same time, a lot of written history has a long-running tradition of disbelieving women or just flat-out ignoring them. So I don't want to contribute to that either. So, uh, well, why don't you decide for yourself how you want to interpret this next part? In separate interviews, Monaro establishes the following. That when she was seven or eight, she recalled overhearing a conversation between her parents about taking her to the doctor because her skin was glowing. She also said that several years ago, several years prior to 1934, that is, she had given birth to a stillborn child. Also birthed with it was what she described as a human heart that, according to her, glowed like an open flame. The glowing heart, she said, was taken by the attending doctor and preserved. Oh, and she also said that she could see the spirits of dead people. And she also said that she sometimes was able to utilize... Uh, sort of remote viewing. That is, being able to witness battles that were occurring miles away. And most of her visions were of a religious nature. And in case you're wondering, yes, a psychiatric evaluation was performed on her during all of these tests. It's a negative on psychosis or insanity. But it did conclude that she was subject to a sort of self-hypnotic or hallucinative state which honestly sounds more dramatic than it actually is. A self-hypnotic state is more or less giving yourself a guided meditation with a specific end goal. A lot of people do it for self-help reasons. The evaluation suggested that Monaro's brand of religious visions are not uncommon among people who are, quote, very spiritual and illiterate. And yeah, I know, that final point feels weirdly condescending. Because it is. Unlike the blue glow, which is verified and observed by several witnesses over several weeks, the visions and other elements that Monaro reports aren't really verified. And in June 1934, a few months after the first observed appearance of the blue flame, Monaro's asthma flare-up ends, and the blue lights vanish. And that's it. No conclusion. No hoax revealed. No conclusive rationale for the blue flames. A paper was published with all of the inconclusive findings, and Anna presumably went back to her life. If you're looking for answers to the phenomenon, I don't have any for you. And I'm sorry, that might sound frustrating, but I'm not as interested in the cause of Anna's mysterious light at breasts. I'm more interested in people's response to them. And that's right, we're going to queer this story. So, quick review. Queering stories or situations involves reversing or inverting situations in order to help provide a radical new understanding of the situation. It's sort of looking at things from a different perspective than we've been presented with. It's sort of like unfocusing your eyes or turning a painting upside down to understand how its composition works. And some of the elements of this story are kind of fascinating under a queer reading. First and foremost is the fact that her breasts are the focus of this phenomenon. To be clear, breasts themselves aren't inherently sexual but they're so frequently sexualized that it's difficult to discuss them in any context without considering a sexual component. And, as sexuality can greatly inform and affect how many people interpret the world, I think we miss out on a lot if we don't consider it. So, while every article I've come across on this topic is very respectful and careful to desexualize the situation, I'm gonna sexualize it. Not because I think it's funny to, but because I think we learn more this way. The goal isn't to make anyone uncomfortable, but if you're not down for this, maybe check out for the next few minutes. Until the next bell break. So, I think a lot of the sources I consulted for this story had a tendency to retreat into scientific terminology and framing out of maybe respect for Anna and her body, or fear of appearing misogynistic. And these are admirable goals. But I'm going to try to navigate a path that lets us interrogate the sort of sexual elements of the story, and also the parts that make the story kind of fun. And it helps that the story wasn't life-threatening for Anna, and no one seemed to walk out of it mistreated or abused. Because, frankly, there's something fun and funny about glowing boobs. I mean, if I found out that mine were glowing, I would absolutely be alarmed, but I think I would also have a pretty good laugh at myself. In part because boobs are such a taboo topic that stories about them can feel risqué in an entertaining way. I mean, they're not as taboo as some other body parts, but they're definitely in the not-in-a-polite-conversation sort of category. And transgressing that boundary of polite conversation is part of what makes a story like this fun. If you're the same kind of person that I am, then at some point during the story you thought to yourself that you too would probably enjoy having light-up breasts. And Anna's shrugging approach of it's God's will that my breasts light up is, out of context, a wonderfully ridiculous intersection of religion and wacky body part fun. It wouldn't seem out of place in a Monty Python sketch. Again, if my own breasts lit up with unearthly blue fire, I can 100% guarantee you that at some point, I would blithely answer with, oh, these? God's will. And this is just coming at it from a femme perspective. As someone with breasts, I'm thinking about how much fun having light up breasts would be. And that's not even getting into the potential utility of using my chest to find things in the dark. It's the one thing my breasts don't currently do. But you know, at the risk of making people maybe even more uncomfortable, let's also consider the sexual component of the situation. So aside from anyone having a fetish for glowing breasts, which is not a fetish I've considered until this very moment, there's just the general idea of literally highlighting the breasts. For anyone who enjoys them in a sexual or aesthetic sense, this concept is probably very appealing. And let me be clear. This isn't to sexualize Anna Monaro's breasts in particular, but just the objective idea of glowing boobs. You know who was probably sexualizing Anna Monaro's breasts, though? The bevy of doctors inspecting her breasts for any abnormalities. Who were also watching her breathe hard and heavy as she entered into the heightened state that went along with the blue lights. Okay, maybe that's a little bit unfair of me. I'm not suggesting that Anna Monaro was engaging in anything sexual at the time. After all, there are two other things going on here that more practically explain the heavy breathing and the increased heart rate. First and foremost being the fact that she had asthma. And anyone familiar with asthma knows how terrifying an asthma attack can be. Difficulty breathing and increased heart rate because of the difficulty breathing are kind of big tells for an asthma attack. Secondly. Anna may have been undergoing about a religious fervor. If you've been around Southern Baptist churches, you might be familiar with the idea of being, quote, taken by the spirit, in which someone has a religious experience in the moment that expresses itself through their body, which can also result in some similar physical reactions, shortness of breath, increased heart rate, and some religious visions. In fact, there's a good case to be made that both of these might have been happening at the same time for Anna. Anna had been dealing with asthma her whole life and she was a very devout woman. It's not unreasonable to assume that she might have had sought relief through her religion during her asthma attacks. And for anyone still trying to solve her situation, restricted oxygen and hyperfocusing on prayer could possibly result in hallucinations of a religious nature. But from the outside, the doctors watched an otherwise healthy 42-year-old woman sweat, moan, and breathe heavily while her breasts shone with light. Well, okay, while there was likely nothing sexual going on on Anna's end, I will absolutely bet money on at least a couple of doctors interpreting the situation as erotic in nature. Internet, tell me I'm wrong and that there are zero creepy doctors out there who do that, and I will retract that statement. Also, we're well into Freud's career, so his ideas are hot shit right now. In fact, if he weren't otherwise occupied with fleeing from Nazi Germany at the time, I suspect he would have loved to weigh in on the situation, and maybe give an even creepier reading. Yeah, all that's going on at this time. Wild time, right? Radium toys, light-up breasts, and Nazis? Historical context. And not to make anyone terribly uncomfortable again, though honestly, if I'm not making someone uncomfortable at this point, then I'm probably not doing an academic queer reading properly. But the presence of devout Christian faith doesn't exactly dissuade from the skeevy reading of the situation, either. See, the Catholic Church has always had an on-again, off-again relationship with breasts, especially as depicted in art. And, for the purposes of this story, we are in Rome, so let us do as the Romans do. The logic goes like this. Christ was a baby and must have been nursed from his mother Mary. That makes nursing an inherently holy act. By association, breasts are holy, but people enjoying them in prurient or sinful ways makes them sinful by association. So depending on where the societal pendulum was at a given time, depiction or even discussion of the breast in religious context could range from holy representation of life and bounty to taboo, sinful topic that you could go to hell just for talking about. And you can still see some of that today particularly in very conservative cultures and areas. For some people, this conflict of religion and sexuality resolves into a sort of unease about the taboo role of the breast in religion, and it can sometimes even resolve into sexual fetishization. Because the ironic effect of labeling anything as taboo or forbidden means that some people will fixate on it and often sexualize it. You know this is true, right? Think back to any of the fetishes you know, and how many of them are rooted in elements of it's hot because it's wrong. And as we covered, Anna herself was attaching a religious component to this phenomenon. So again, I'm not accusing Anna Monaro of sexualizing the situation, but the fact that her situation was one that tied up religion with breasts and science is probably why it caught so much attention. More so than similar stories at the time of glowing toes or wounds. This story has it all. Press, religion, science, supernatural lights, fantastic visions confirmed by medical testimonials. It's no wonder it made international news. And maybe that media attention might help to explain Anna's other stories. The overheard conversation with her parents, the miraculous snowborn story, and seeing ghosts. Oh, and the remote viewing. I'm not saying that she's lying, but what I am saying is that memory is unreliable, and sudden attention from a number of important people might encourage some selective focusing. If you've ever been under a lot of scrutiny or pressure to come up with a story or reason for something, you know how many weird connections your brain can make. People demanding answers often sends a person scrambling for any rationale and even cobbling them together from whatever is available. Childhood memories are notoriously unreliable. Actually, let me narrow that a bit. Memories are unreliable. So definite grain of salt with Anna's parental story. And there's the stillborn story she gave. And I don't want to dwell on this because any story with a stillborn is a sad story and I don't want to trigger anything for listeners. But I will say that grief and trauma are powerful and that every person, Anna included, processes them differently and tries to manage them the best they can. As far as visions of the dead go, this is kind of interesting because Anna reported seeing visions of dead people and also being able to see battles going on at the time. Again. Those of you who are Paranormal fans probably know the latter as Remote Viewing. It's a term for psychically seeing events going on miles away. So I mentioned historical context earlier. We're in 1934. In Anna's lifetime, World War I has happened. Prior to the First World War, Piranha was part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. And after the war, it was ceded to Italy. So there's a good chance that Anna's not unaware of some of the major world events going on. And maybe she was even directly affected by some of these going-ons. Also, for those of you wondering about time frames, in 1934, World War II is coming, but Germany won't actually invade Poland until 1939. In this year, Hitler does meet with Benito Mussolini in Venice. In fact, it's during the final month in which Anna's undergoing observation in Rome. So, there have been wars in the recent past that Anna would have been able to draw from, and certainly enough political tension to make pretty decent predictions about wars to come. And that's assuming that Anna is making this up. There's a possibility that all of these things happen just as she described them. If there was some as-yet-undiscovered reason as to why Anna lit up, then maybe it extended to the unfortunate circumstances of her stillborn, and if it was indeed a gift from God, then perhaps her God also gave her these visions. One of the difficulties with digging through older stories is that the world was far less plugged in the further you go back, so records are sparser and you often end up with fewer perspectives. If this took place now, you'd no doubt have eight articles on Anna in a day, with thousands of people commenting their own unsolicited takes on her situation. And, terrifyingly, probably several dozen internet sleuths digging through her old social media posts to see if she has a history of making things up. Actually, you know what? It's probably for the best that this happened in 1934. Because that means that once this ended, Anna could simply go back to her life. Sure, there was probably some buzz in Piranha when she got back, but it was a pretty large town and Anna was one person. And, from what I've been able to find, it doesn't sound like she was hounded or harassed after the event. Just a few articles about the events as they happened, a study published, and that was largely that. Aside from a few odd articles put out by paranormal enthusiasts like me, the world has largely forgotten about Anna Monaro and the mysterious blue breast lights. Today's episode drew from a number of sources John Mitchell and Robert J. M. Rickard's Phenomena, a Book of Wonders, and a couple of wonderful articles from Medium. Julia Montanari's The Woman Who Glowed at Night. And Christopher P. Jones, Why the Virgin Mary's Bare Breast Caused a Problem for Artists. If you enjoyed this episode of Trans Arcana and want more of our mixture of queer theory and occult lore, you can follow us on Twitter at TransArcana. That's T-R-A-N-S-A-R-C-A-N-A at twitter.com. And remember to let your breasts light up the night. <laughs>